You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right. Well, hey, we are going to wrap up our holiday survival guide uh, series today. I I hope you had a great time with uh, Pastor Daryl last week. He's a lot of fun, isn't he? He's a wild character. He's been a big encouragement, a mentor to me. Uh, from the first day I got here in Phoenix. So it's been an honor to have him on our teaching team in 2019. And uh, I'm excited to share with you some more news about kind of what all is going to be happening in the new year as we kind of move further along. Hey, this morning, uh, what I want to do is uh, one of our values as a church is just fun. And I love telling stories. Every time I go visit my family, uh, they always say, hey, Ryan, tell me a good story. Uh, I heard a story the other day about this old lady. She actually locked her keys in the car. Never done that before. Uh, She had a hanger and she was trying to get the door open uh, over 15 minutes to unlock it. And she just gave up. And then she said a quick prayer to God. You know, God, please help me right now. And just as she finished that prayer, this tatted, rough and rugged biker dude shows up right beside her. And she's like, oh my goodness. And he says, hey, uh, can I help you unlock your car? And within a few seconds, he unlocks it. And the lady said, oh, I'm so grateful that you came to me. I, I, and she thanked God right there. Lord, thank you for sending this man, such a good man. And the man interjected and said, hey, ma'am, I'm not a good ma'am. See, I just got out of prison. She said, for what? And he said, auto theft. And the old lady said, with no hesitation, she looked up and she said, well, thank you, Lord Jesus, for sending me a professional. (laughs) Hey, listen, we're all going to face trouble. It could be car trouble, computer trouble. It could be trouble of all sorts. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to see how Mary, the mother of Jesus, faced tremendous trouble. The kind of trouble that she faced is different, though. It's not a car. It's not a computer. It's a mental, emotional trouble. Today, what I want to do is I want to teach you how to trust God in your troubles. Um, we, t- we tend to think that if we live a trouble-free life, then we'll just be okay. The problem is with that, guys, is that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, in this life, you will have what? Troubles. And so uh, there's three types of trouble. Um, the three types of trouble is troubles from our choices, troubles from our circumstances, and trouble from our calling. And so um, the trouble, for, for those of you that are, are like maybe freaking out about my first little point. Trouble is the quality of state or of being troubled, especially mentally. And so um, that's the first little definition there. But the three troubles, there you go, the three troubles that we're going to look at this morning, uh, just before we get started, is this, the troubles from our choices. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist, but you can find yourself in trouble based on what you choose to do, right? You made some bad decision, you're going to get yourself in trouble. Um, You know, some of us, maybe you've tried to chase more money at times and at the expense of the family. Maybe we've found ourselves in trouble uh, physically because we simply won't rest. We stay up way too late. We burn way too many hours in a week and we don't give our body the gift of rest. And that's a choice that you and I have to make. Some of us uh, get ourselves into trouble relationally with our family because we're overconnected to social media. Uh, Especially teenagers can do this. They get so connected to video games and social media, and then they find themselves discouraged and disconnected. 
one of the most connected generations ever to have in, in, in human history, yet we're most disconnected. These are choices that we make that we can find ourselves in trouble. Or there's the, the choice that we make of we're impulsive buying things and doing things, and then we never get the opportunity to experience the blessing of self-control. These are all choices you and I have to make. Then there's the trouble of circumstances. Life sometimes deals you a set of cards that you just don't like. You can't control which family you were born into. You can't control uh, where you were born, how you were brought up. But reality is, is there's circumstances in our lives that we just can't control and we can find ourselves in trouble. So how do you trust God in your troubles? Some of us are having trouble with raising teenagers or kids, or some of us are struggling with health issues that we just can't beat. Some of us are feeling the pains of car troubles or computer troubles, or we just got our work troubles, relational troubles. These are circumstances in our life. But then there's this one kind of trouble that every Christian must undergo, and it's the trouble from our calling. It's a divine trouble. It's a trouble that as every Christian, if you are a Christian and you call yourselves a follower of Jesus Christ, then you're going to face trouble. And, you know, throughout church history, I think of Martin Luther, the great reformer who in the 1500s uh, sought to reform the church of its corruption at the time. And, and he wanted the scriptures to be translated uh, from Latin into the German language. And boy, did he face trouble from kings, popes, and princesses, and politicians, and all the sorts. But did you know his greatest trouble was what he would say with the devil himself? He suffered under this mental anguish. He was in a brilliant man, a brilliant uh, scholar, and he would have these big gospel arguments in the middle of the night that would wake him up, and he would call it that he was fighting with the devil. It's no surprise within medieval context to over-spiritualize things, but nonetheless, Martin Luther had deep trouble. He would run and hide, and his life was at stake. Or you think of, in church history, the trouble that these, that these other godly individuals suffered and were called to this level of ministry and this purpose, but there's trouble chasing them all the way through it. Charles Haddon Spurgeon had a lifelong battle with depression. His wife, Susanna, would later write in a journal, my beloved's anguish was so deep, so violent, that he, he would almost be, be willing to quit and never preach again. Later in life, he would face a series of health issues and his pain was so much that he would only preach about a third of the year. And he struggled so much, but he trusted God had a bigger purpose in it. And he said, part of the trusting God in the trouble made him a more compassionate minister. Or think about Mother Teresa. She was born in 1910 in Macedonia. Her father died just at the age of eight years old. Imagine that, a little eight-year-old kid and your dad dies. And her mother taught her the value of caring for the least, the lost, and the lonely at a very young age. And uh, her name was Agnes. And, and Agnes began to learn how to serve the Lord. And, and she signed herself up and felt called to go to Calcutta and serve for 50 years to, pour, to serve the unwanted, the unloved, and the uncared for. That's Mother Teresa. And she did it. She started schools and a leper colony and sisters' orphanage and, and charities and hospice and family clinics. And this worldwide kind of uh, recognition began to follow her. But nobody would ever know that Mother Teresa had this secret struggle, this secret trouble that troubled her deeply. And it was her, just her faith. She felt like, I'm pouring myself out, God, all of these places and all these people, but I'm struggling to feel your presence at some point. And, and she, she verbalized this in a journal. 
And it's not too unlike perhaps even the struggle and the trouble that we'll see with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and how she responds to this angelic announcement. So let's jump into the Bible, and we're going to uh, read quite a bit of verses this morning and to look at the life of Mary and how she responds to this angelic announcement about this virgin birth, which has been predicted and promised and foretold and prophesied about hundreds and hundreds of years before. If you were here last week, you, you caught that. And so um, here's where we're going to start. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 all the way to 56. And it says this, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, let's stop right there real quick. The angel Gabriel is a very powerful angel. Some have called him the archangel. Uh, he's, there's only two angels mentioned in the Bible. There's angel Michael and then Gabriel. Uh, uh, this guy Gabriel, he appears in human form to Daniel in the Old Testament and helps him to understand the meaning of a vision. In the New Testament, we see him appear to Zechariah, a relative of, uh, of, of Mary's, and he, this guy's a priest. He's in the temple and he announces the birth of Zechariah's son in Luke chapter 1. So the angels in the Bible are historically ministers and messengers. Do we have guardian angels? Maybe so. Uh, it, it seems that the angels, what they do is they are, they're ministers and messengers of God. And this angel is going to bring some incredible news. Angels bring ministry. There was an interview with Billy Graham years ago and Billy Graham said, as an evangelist, I've often felt too spent as a minister to preach in the pulpit. Uh, and, and yet in the moment when I'm standing in front of stadiums and stadiums of people, I, I would feel my weakness begin to vanish and strength begin to renew. I've been filled with God's power, not only in my soul, but physically. On many occasions, God has especially been real and sent his unseen angelic visitors to touch my body, to Touch, help me, strengthen me. Let me be his messenger of heaven, speaking to as a dying man to dying men. Angels are real. They're powerful. They have a, they're timeless. There's no expiration date on angels. This angel Gabriel has seen all sorts of human history unfold, and now he's coming to Nazareth. A no-name little podunk town, if you were driving to San Diego and you stopped off somewhere, a little truck stop, and you said to your family, oh my goodness, this is a rough spot. Kids, you have about two or three minutes. You get out there, you, get, you use restroom, you come right back in. That's like Nazareth, rough little spot. Uh, population, maybe 1,600, 2,000 people. The angel, the archangel, Gabriel, comes to Nazareth. What does he got? He's got this angelic announcement. He, verse 27, he comes to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Mary's probably about 14 years old. Um, she's betrothed. That's bigger than an engagement. It's not like an engagement the way we think about it. They're legally considered married. They just haven't consummated the marriage. So they're together in verse 28, it says, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She's confused. She can't believe it. I mean, she's, she's heard about the Messiah. These are what's called messianic times. People are kind of anticipating that this Messiah is going to come and to deliver Israel from the Roman oppression. And, and then she hears about this, this, this favored one. And, and, and could this be an announcement? But she's greatly troubled. 
And she's greatly troubled. It's interesting, later in Luke chapter 2, verse 34, I'll summarize, but Joseph and Mary take baby Jesus just after about eight, eight days old. They take him to the temple for a baby dedication. And this guy named Simeon's a, a ministry leader, and he prophesies over Mary and says, hey, you're going to have trouble like your whole life. This baby's going to bring great joy, but it's going to bring great pain into your life. Mary would be there at the cross when Jesus was crucified. Mary was going to go through a life of trouble. She was called to a level of suffering that you and me know very little of. She's called to this holy calling. And so she is, of course, greatly troubled. Does she know all that's going to happen? No way she doesn't. But it's scary to be visited by this angelic creature, this angel Gabriel, and so she's trying to discern verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not, what, be afraid. And they always say that. Mary, for you have found favor with God. That word favor means grace. You found grace with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call, you shall call his name Jesus. And the angel went on to predict five different things about uh, Mary's son. I'll just walk through them really quick. Number one, it's not on your notes, but here it is. Number one, he will be great. Verse 32, he will be great, the angel says. Number two, he will be called the son of the most high. And as soon as the angel said that, light bulbs probably went off in Mary's mind because what that meant, that phraseology in Jewish culture meant that this individual would have equality with God. So she's, it's not a normal birth. This is supernatural. This is, this is a divine being. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. She's thinking, I'm having, there's a royal descendant. He's coming from the royal line of David through Joseph. This is, this is a divine prophecy being fulfilled. Mary would have been grown up in a religious household where they taught the Old Testament scripture. She would have seen this. She would have begun to realize this is a big deal. Verse 33, number four, the fourth fourth. Uh, Prediction is he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. That's over the nation of Israel. And the fifth one is that his kingdom will, there'll be no end. This is the king of kings. This is the Lord of lords. This is it. And Mary says very, very easily, she asks about this. She has a question. I mean, if I got a, if I got a supernatural angelic encounter, I think I'd have some questions. And she says, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be, verse 34, how will this be since I am a virgin? She's never slept with a man. Uh, she definitely hadn't slept with Joseph. This is, this is a, a supernatural birth that's about to take place. Verse 35, and the angel answered her, uh, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This is prophecy being fulfilled hundreds and hundreds of years before. It was predicted through the prophet Isaiah. The, the child would be born. The Messiah would be born of a virgin. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and chapter 9, verse 6. Light bulbs are starting to go off. Mary's probably very anxious. But look how she responds. Look how the angel continues to give a little bit more comforting commentary. The angel probably senses her stress and anxiety. And look what he says, verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who has called barren, was called barren. We don't know if Mary knew about her relative having this child or not, but the angel told her right there clearly. And then 
It must have been a miracle to Mary. Oh, my, 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 my relative Elizabeth is having a child. I thought she was barren. I thought she had fertility issues. I, I didn't know. We don't know the details, but the angel gives us comforting word, verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. In verse 38, Mary said, behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And then what does Mary do? How does she respond? Just had this angelic announcement. Now what's she going to do? She's not going to tweet about it. She's not going to Facebook about it. She's going to go find family. Verse 39, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country uh, to a town in Judah. That's about a three to five day journey. Does she go solo? Does she go uh, with a group of people? We don't know. Luke is a historian, the guy who wrote this, uh, this gospel account. He's also a physician, so he keeps very careful account of the details. Perhaps he interviewed Mary, uh, but that's not a detail we know. What we do know is Mary's going to go with haste. If you got freaked out uh, uh, and you had this incredible angelic announcement in your life and, and uh, you know perhaps at this time she's thinking through what are the implications of me having a child but I'm supposed to, I'm, I'm betrothed and under Jewish law I could be stoned to death. So she could be ostracized, she could be stoned to death. This, these are bad things. She's troubled. And she's gonna go visit some family. Verse 40, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. In verse 41, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. A couple of things there. Uh, back then, uh, before Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit poured out on the power of the church, where it was called the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit would frequent individuals and then leave individuals. They, the Holy Spirit would come and fill an individual with a super, uh, some kind of extraordinary power and strength. And then in the New Testament, after the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus says he's going to give his Holy Spirit. It pours out on the church for every believer today. When we pray to receive Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. Spirit, we're not simply filled with the Holy Spirit, but we're sealed. And this Holy Spirit uh, comes and fills uh, Elizabeth, and she's going to give a prophetic word to Mary. And she says, blessed are you among women. Notice what it says, blessed are you among women, not above women. Sometimes in the Catholic church, uh, we've made too much of Mary. And then sometimes in the Protestant church, we make too little of Mary. Um, there's a healthy reverence and that we need to uh, look to the life of Mary and say, there's an example to follow. I'll show it to you. Verse 43, and why why is this granted to me? She says, Elizabeth, the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Verse 45, and blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. What should Mary be followed in example? What should she be, she be praised for? How should we look to Mary? Her incredible life of belief, her faith, her trust, how she trusted God in the midst of it. And so what does she do? Verse 46. And then I'll get to the practical application of this. Verse 46, she breaks out in a song. She worships. This is a lot of this, uh, this, this uh, song that Mary sings 
is very familiar to many of the Psalms. She would have been familiar with the Psalms as a young Jewish girl. And and much of it actually uh, relates and looks very similar to that of Hannah's song when she was barren and she's prayed for a child and then she gets, uh, she conceives a son by the name of Samuel, according to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And this is what Mary says. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. The very interesting note right there is that she's acknowledging she needs saving. So Mary's not sinless. Mary acknowledges on the very first step of her, in her trouble, in her worry, she chooses to worship and she acknowledges that she needed a savior. And so she says, and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And she'll repeat, re- repeat that phrase several times. He has, he has, and she's, it's a very God-centered prayer and, and listen for it. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of the humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich. He has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Three different groups that that, uh, Mary highlights God's mercy is the helpless, the humble, and the hungry. And then the commentary uh, ends with Luke giving this summarizing note. And Mary remained with her, that is Elizabeth, about three months and returned home. So she perhaps stayed there until Elizabeth, her relative, had the baby and then she goes home. But there's still problems. Because guess what's going to happen as soon as she gets home? Everybody's going to see the little bump. She's pregnant. And as soon as they see that, they're thinking, uh, you're not supposed to be sleeping with anybody uh, how is this happening? And so Mary in her mind is probably the wheels are turning. Lord, I'll be your servant, but I don't know how this is going to work out. So here's what I want to do in our remaining time together. I want to give you life lessons from Mary, how to trust God in your trouble. You've heard what WWJD, what would Jesus do? And that is absolutely good. That's a great thing you should ask. Here this morning, what I'm going to do is give you a real life personal application. And we're going to look at WWMD. What would Mary do? And we're going to see how she trusted God in her trouble. Number one, I would say that we can take and we can apply to our own, our own lives is don't be afraid to ask questions. Mary asked a question to Zechariah. She said, how is this going to be? Because I'm a virgin. And it was a good question. Some people have taken it as, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't ask questions like that, especially to an angel. Some commentators and theologians and Christians over the years have said, you know, she's showing that she doesn't really believe in God or she's whatever. But no, I would argue that when you go through trouble, it's a life lesson for all of us is that it's okay to ask God questions. It's okay. There's two kinds of doubt, though. When you're asking a question, you're revealing that you have some level of doubt. There's a good doubt, and I would say then there's a bad doubt. 
And a good doubt is the kind that Mary had, and it came out of kind of a humble wonder. It leads us to ask questions, and we're not being defiant, but we're asking questions. When I was in seminary, I would always sit on the front row, and I would raise my hand and ask questions. Now, you've seen this before. Sometimes there are students that get into the classrooms, and they're asking lots of questions, and they're trying to derail the class. I wasn't that guy. I literally had questions to get answers to my questions. When Mary's asking this question, how is this going to be? It's displaying that she's got a sense of humility and vulnerability. When you ask questions with God, when you're in trouble, you're asking with a humble sense of, I need help from clarification. Is there ever a time when asking questions can reveal a bad kind of doubt? Yes, there is. You've heard it before when somebody says, hey, listen, I know you're going through a really hard time, but you can trust God in this matter. And the person responds and says, yeah, I've tried that. I doubt it. God can't help me. You know, God, where are you when I need you? That's a doubt. That's unveiling this unbelief, this hardness of heart. See, what happened with Zechariah, it's very interesting. Gabriel, the same angel that visited Mary, is the same angel that visited Zechariah. And Zechariah, when he asked a question, he got put in time out. He was mute. He couldn't speak until God fulfilled his promises. But Mary displays a good kind of doubt. What's the lesson for you and me? The lesson for you and me is that when we're going through a tough time, trouble, it's okay to ask questions. Ask your questions to God. God, how can this be? How is this going to work? But my, my encouragement is to keep your heart open. Keep a soft heart. Keep a believing heart that God is good even if you don't understand. And then number two, when you and I face troubles, you, you need to remind yourself that you're a servant of the Lord. When you remind yourself you're a servant of the Lord, what you're doing is you're putting yourself in the proper place. Jesus is the king, you're the servant. Servants don't always know what the king's business is. The Bible says that there's secret things of God and then there's things that are completely clear and revealed. Some of the questions that you may have and the trouble that you're facing, we don't always have all the answers to it. There's his revealed will and then a secret will. And a king has the privilege to do that. He's king. Mary says, once she finds out all this news, she says, let it be as you've said so to the angel Gabriel. I'm the servant of the Lord. I think as a servant, you and I take a humble posture and we're trusting that God's going to direct us how he wants to. When I see myself as a servant, then I'm, it's easier for me to serve and go through a tough time. Jesus Christ said it like this. He says, I came to this world not to be served, but to what? To serve. If he did it, then we could do it. And so when you're in trouble and you're struggling to trust, number one, don't be afraid to ask questions. Number two, remind yourself that you're a servant of the Lord. And then realize what can get you to the place to acknowledge that you're a servant of the Lord. Mary experienced three different things. She first experienced the grace of God. When the angel told her, he says, he says hey, you, are the, you, have, you have found favor with God. That word favor in the Greek is charis, and it means grace. When you experience the grace of God, it can help you to uh, see yourself as a servant. Uh, not only did she experience the grace of God, but then she believed the word of God. When the angel spoke, she said, let it be so. I believe that. I, let it be as you say. And then she continued on, and she not only trusted and believed in the word of God, but then she also trusted the will of God. She says, exactly as you say so, I'll be your servant. 
Remind yourself that you're a servant of the Lord when your family's going through a tough time. Remind yourself that you're a servant of the Lord when your business and your workplace is, 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 is tough and you're going through trouble there. Remind yourself that you're simply a servant of the Lord when your car has trouble or you're having financial troubles or when you're having health troubles. Remind yourself that you're a servant and you just simply seek to follow and serve God. Oftentimes when we face even health afflictions, sometimes God allows these things to happen into our life and really much of that, uh, those afflictions are a result of sin entering the world. When sin entered the world, it fractured and frustrated and messed everything up. But God can use that for good when we're going through a troubling time so that we can comfort others when they're going through a troubling time and seek to be the servant. Number three, seek godly counsel. How do you trust God in, in your troubles? You always seek godly counsel. Sometimes we can get so stirred up in our trouble, it's like uh, you can't see clearly because the fog has just set in. Sometimes when you get into trouble, you can fall, your, fall into a deep despair or you can fall into a depression. And it's like this dark cloud kind of just settled over the soul and you can't think clearly anymore. And what you need is somebody to help break that fog and break that spell. And oftentimes it's, it's a godly friend or it's a godly family member. And what Mary does is as soon as she feels this trouble, Luke, the historian said she was greatly troubled. She goes and she sees Elizabeth. And Elizabeth's husband is a priest. And so she's spending time with a godly family. Some of you might say to me, well, Pastor Ryan, I don't have godly family around, so how am I supposed to seek them out? Well, encouraging news is King Solomon wrote in Proverbs, which Mary would have had access to this information as well, said Proverbs 27.10, it says, better is a neighbor nearby than a brother or a family member far away. Sometimes when you don't have a family member that's a Christian following Jesus and living for Jesus and you face trouble, just ask another friend nearby. Ask a family or a, a friend or a neighbor or a coworker that is a Christian. Years ago, um, when I first started to uh, plant the church, uh, I was accepted into this wonderful organization called Vision Arizona. And they said, Ryan, we want to help you plant a regional church in the North Valley. I said, man, this is great. It was awesome. They said, one condition. I said, what? And they said, you need to get marriage counseling. I said, are you serious? And they said, yeah, you need to do one year of marriage counseling. And I said, why? This was, this was years ago, 10 years ago. And uh, they said, because uh, we, we've talked to your wife and she's indicated that you kind of move way too fast and you fail to consult her about stuff. And if you don't get help in your marriage, we don't want to plan a church that's going to have marital conflict uh, and, and, and just spin out of control. It was the best decision I ever made. I jumped in and got some marriage counseling and I worked on this thing called communication. And you would think that I got communications figured out as being a preacher, but I'm telling you, uh, we need counsel. And I, I remember that individual, uh, uh, um, John Michaels, the guy's name, a Christian counselor here in the valley, and he just began to speak into my life and I kind of just let him speak into my life. And he helped me become a better man, a better husband. Sometimes you need to get godly counsel. If you're in trouble, go get godly counsel. Don't be too proud. And number four, I'd encourage you, whatever your worry is, your anxiety, I want to challenge you to turn it into worship. Research indicates that 2.5 million people check themselves into a hospital every day for anxiety, worry. Worry has an emotional, physical, and spiritual effects that negatively impact your body. But you know what's amazing is that research shows that people who sing actually relieve anxiety 
and, they con- and it contributes to the quality of their life in a positive way. Singing has actually been scientifically proven to lower stress, relieve anxiety, and elevate endorphins. Sometimes I've even done this in years past. I've gone into a nursing home and people are not, they don't look well. And then I go in there and I'm with some friends and we start singing songs. And all of a sudden, the lights come on. Singing is this powerful thing. And Mary, with her, wor- with her worry, she turns it into worship. What if you began to worship more instead of worry? That'd be a good trade. Lord, I'm so worried right now. I'm going to pause for a moment. I'm just going to begin to sing the praises and the truth about who you are. Now, Mary's pretty impromptu. She knew scripture and she was like, she freestyled it. You probably can't do that. You need words on the screen to help you out. But when you do, worship awakens the soul to God's presence. When you worship, it assures you that you're better together when you hear everybody else's voices. When you worship, it begins to advance in the cause of Christ's ministry and missions throughout the local church. Worship is the fuel for that kind of stuff. And so here's what I want to challenge you to do. Take your next step and trust God in your trouble. Perhaps one of the verses that Mary looked at and leaned upon was the, the famous verse that you and I have heard before. For those of you who have been around in the Christian faith for a while, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Uh, Mary perhaps had to, had to trust God and not lean on her own understanding. She had to uh, acknowledge him that God's at work in a supernatural way. And there's three specific areas I just want to challenge you to consider on direct application of trusting God. Maybe it's trusting God with your time. Just saying, God, I'm going to trust you with my time. Maybe it's trusting God with your witness and saying, I want to be a Christian witness. I'm going to trust you there. Or maybe it's trusting God with your finances and your money. Those are the three biggest markers of Christian maturity I think that anybody could identify a Christian with. People who say, I'm going to trust God and with my time, I want to serve the Lord. Mary said, I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm going to trust God with my witness. She's beginning to share about who Jesus is and what God's doing. And then trusting God with money, that's something that all of us are called to do. And in fact, in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, if you read through the rest of the passage, it's all connected to finances. And so what I want to challenge you to do as we wrap up is just to simply take your next step to trust God and whatever that looks like for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that it would uh, take hold of our life and have priority over everything else uh, and so that we can live more conformed uh, to the image of Christ and live for you, God. Lord, I pray for those right now today that may be stirred in their heart and they don't know if they've ever trusted Jesus Christ as Lord. Lord, I thank you that today you are at work. And for those of you that are sitting here today with your eyes closed and your head bowed and you think, man, I would really like to know that I'm a Christian and I'm, I'm going to heaven. I'd encourage you to, to know right now that God is at work in your life. You are deeply loved and cherished by God. And by simply placing your faith in Jesus Christ and acknowledging your sin, believing Jesus can forgive you of your sin, you will be born again. And so, for Father, for all of my friends here today, I pray that they would just simply put their trust in you and see that how you can work miracles into their life in extraordinary ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as we close out today, I want to, um, first of all, say if you prayed to receive Christ, let us know or let a friend know that you did that. You can turn in a card over at the Connection Corner. 
we'd like to help get you started in your faith journey. And then second, um, as we receive our offering, I just want to share with you uh, good news and bad news real quick. Um, Many of you know I sent out a a letter about our church this last week uh, just to kind of let you know kind of where we're at for the year end. The bad news first. The bad news is, is that we're about 60-something thousand dollars behind in our general fund giving. Um, The general fund pays for all of our ministry expenses as a church just to run Sundays week to week in the ministries that we already have, our staff, our mortgage, our bills, our campus, all that. Um, So we're about 60-something thousand dollars behind year to date. Uh, That's a concerning trend. Um, And so my encouragement to you is to pray about giving above and beyond or start giving towards that if you haven't already. Um, If we don't see a change, then we will make changes as a church in the new year uh, within the first quarter. That would be significant changes. A $60,000 budget cut would be huge in our church. So I'm letting you know as a servant of the Lord on behalf of our elder team kind of what's going on. Uh, Here's the good news. The good news is, is from 2000, if you looked at 2019 and all the income that came in over 2019, it's far above what came in in 2018. So more money came in to help fuel our ministry and missions as a church. However, a lot of that went into campus development, which are designated funds to improve this campus. So uh, we've chewed up all of our cash reserves and praying that God just kind of works a miracle, and we, he did. And so an anonymous donor came forward and said, I know about your need, and I'm pledging up to $200,000 in a matching gift So every dollar you give, it's matched up to $200,000. That would radically impact our church and help us big time for our church. So I'm going to ask that you pray about giving to the general fund towards the the, uh, end of the year, and that would radically impact our church for the good. Okay? All right. Let's celebrate what God is doing with that anonymous gift. That's pretty awesome. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, Give today at northvalleychurch.org.